0: Today, we are joined by Mark Elkins. Mark, thanks so much for making the time.
1: Hey, Joe. Great. It's great to be here with you. Um, and uh, as I was saying just earlier, you have an amazing voice. So, this is. Okay, this is okay. Pleasure. All right.
0: That's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> let's let's begin as we do. Uh, refresh us all, uh, refresh our memory as to what you were doing before in Seattle and what have you been up to for the last 20 years?
1: So before INSEAD, um, I originally wanted to be an architect, uh, actually. And so um, I had sort of design deeply embedded. I studied architecture for a year. I then switched to engineering, and I worked for a few years as a design engineer. And then one day I was on the roof of the Eurostar the Euro terminal <laughs> building in London, and I had a bit of an epiphany,
0: which was... For, for work was, reasons or just hanging out so up there? I
1: was I was there with a harness writing a report on whether we should shut the Eurostar for a day um, in order to repair some of the glass of this building that some previous people had designed. Um, so it's part of the job to do a bit of the maintenance work as well as new design. And the epiphany I had was I was looking onto the platform um, at all these people getting on the uh, on the trains. And I realized there were not that many people even getting on the Eurostar that day. And I just sort of thought, what am I doing here? Because my report's going to be a 100 pages going to a facilities manager of a train station. And I started thinking about business for the first time in my life. Like, would it not be a more interesting problem to solve how to get more people on that train? So um, I went back to the career service at university and they said, have you thought about strategy consulting? I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I looked for through a few brochures and I started interviewing with with companies and uh, I ended up working for the first company who interviewed me uh, called Maricon, which was an uh, American firm, boutique consulting firm, similar price point to McKinsey and um, I ended up working there for about uh, eight years and uh, um, had a lot of fun working in uh, across Europe, a lot in France, uh, lived in Singapore for a year, a little bit in Hong Kong. Um, And when I went to INSEAD, I'd been doing quite a lot of work in retail and consumer goods and financial services, which I really hated. Um, But uh, that way, I came probably in my uh, profile for INSEAD. I looked a little bit more diverse than just a standard British guy, uh, you know, who had lived in the UK and France. So I had worked a bit in other countries as well. And uh, so I was was completely uh, delighted I managed to even get in, frankly. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, honest, that's what honest, i did honest. that's what i did uh that's what i did before Inciad. and i thought you know the reason for going was to uh open my mind to business more broadly and i thought maybe i could uh i could shift careers and get into marketing i thought that might be the answer of solving this kind of creativity and analytical side of my brain and form and function could all go together in one career and I thought I might well might network my way into other companies.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened?
1: Um, well, I didn't. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I applied to a bunch of companies and didn't get in. I um, I also uh, I was sponsored by Maricon, Um and so I, I uh, although I managed to get another scholarship from an engineering uh related uh, organization but I, I basically went back to the company i was in before um and they gave a, a pretty good job offer um uh, and so i went back to consulting for a couple of years but i knew it was going to be temporary well, well, I were there were there it. some
0: strings sorry for the interruption but were there some strings in your sponsorship where you had to go back for x years in order to to not owe them some money
1: yeah. So the, well, the consulting one, yes, uh, you had to go back for two years, but I, I turned it down because I got a scholarship from the Royal Academy of Engineering, which was this mm. weird organization in the UK. And as long as I could spin a story that I was going to help the engineering profession somehow in the British economy, they'll be happy to sponsor me. So I said yes to that one instead. And for that, there were no strings apart from I had to kind of work at some point in my career in the UK, helping the manufacturing sector, which Frankly, I sort of did in consulting anyway, because I did a lot of work in consumer goods and and retail. So I went back for a couple of years, and then I took a one-month sabbatical to kind of escape, and I networked my way at that point into Coca-Cola and ended up staying there for about 11 years.
0: So consulting to a one-month sabbatical to Coca-Cola, and walk us through what what you did for 11 years at Coca-Cola.
1: So – the first job, and by the way, this was thanks to an INSEAD uh, network. There was a lady i found on the alumni uh, database who was working there. She introduced me to her boss and he showed me what he was working on. Uh, he turned out to be the the head of marketing and sales and strategy for the bottler um, in Europe. And he basically showed me the list of all the projects he was working on. It looked like the best consulting project I'd ever done. Um, and I love I love the tangibility of physical products. and um, uh, so uh, he, uh, you know, he he offered me a, a job to basically firstly do a bit of business development and expand the product portfolio. So the Coke, the Coke system is a franchise system, so the bottlers are separate companies from the uh, Coca Cola company, and they have the rights to distribute third-party brands if they're not competing too much with the core business of Coke. So I spent about three years negotiating deals with energy drink brands, uh, water brands in a way, doing a bit of m and for the Coke company um, And then we would basically, uh, uh, you know, offer the co-company a cut of the deal. <laughs> um, and it was a way of showing the co-company, like, you know, we can, we can do product innovation fast as well. It, a little mm-hmm. bit like being a VC, because everyone wants to have the massive distribution power of the, of the bottling network. Uh, so, so that's what I did uh, for uh, uh, a few years. I loved it. I had a great time uh, working Be- with entrepreneurial brands. Uh, based in london uh, okay. but I was, I was working with brands uh, uh you know all over the world a lot from the u.s um some very funky uh brands um i remember <laughs> my boss were an energy drink brand he told me mark you got to take this guy out and show him a good time in the best clubs in london if you're back before 4 a.m you failed uh, so that was a, that was did, a fun
0: did, fun did you succeed
1: yeah, we did, did succeed. We had a, we had a great time. And, and a lot of this actually helped to accelerate the code company's speed of uh, product innovation uh, because we were putting pressure on the on the system, basically. So I did that for a bit. And then um, I remember the European president asked me about what I thought about code strategy in Europe. <laughs> and I basically said I didn't think there was one. Um, it was a bit of an <laughs> extreme statement, but in reality, a lot of it was very salesy driven, like we're going to do the same thing as last year and we're going to win and have a T-shirt and a cap and, you know, very, you know, mm-hmm. uh, simplistic. And um, in the end, they, they, they offered me the role to be strategy director and insights director. And I hired some ex-consultants, people from Nielsen, Kantar, these kind of research companies as well. And we built a five-year growth plan, um, uh, much more fact-based. Uh, and it was, an, it was an exciting time. And during one of those moments, the next big career shift, which basically set up the rest of what I'm doing still today, was we spotted that digital was a big trend. And we were like, what do we do about this digital thing? And I remember the marketing director for the company told me uh, we were on a plane. And he was like, I think we've cracked digital from a brand engagement standpoint but we, uh, we haven't looked at it end-to-end. Um, you know, Coke was number one on Facebook at that time, and you know the brand team thought they're doing a great job. But I remember meeting the digital agencies, and there was a gaping hole between what the brand teams are doing and then purchase. And a lot of decision-making of shoppers was happening in that messy middle area, that gray area. Um, and I also realized we were spending millions of pounds buying banner ads on retailers' websites, mm-hmm. like Tesco's mm-hmm. and stuff. And no one knew what the ROI was or anything. So I basically pitched to, uh, to, to go after this opportunity. It was either that or launch some uh, coffee business or something on the side. But I remember my boss said to me at the time, Mark, he goes, look, the coffee thing's a 50-50, but uh, this thing is coming out as like a train um, and, and uh, you know, there's no escaping it. But I warn you, it's going to be messy because everyone's going to have a point of view and everyone thinks they know something about digital. And he was absolutely right, and it's still the case today. Uh, so uh, I ended up pitching to set up a, a team because we realized it wasn't a project, it was a capability. And, um, um, and at that point, uh, a well-known consulting firm helped me to pitch it at the right level. And uh, and then the rest is history. We'd be set up a, a kind of a, a startup, effectively, within the corporate uh, with the UK as a lead market. and. Um, I remember, you know, inventing job descriptions and hiring amazing people. Um, and, and it grew from there and then, then it grew across Europe. And then uh, it, it just, it, 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 we were on the cusp of something big and it was exciting. It's almost like a, like a, a
0: digital agency within Coca-Cola that, that, uh, that, that and can you explain to me what, what, how you're, you know, you did the branding people doing something, presumably you were doing something else kind of, how did that fit together or not fit together?
1: Yeah, so, and this is one of the challenges, I think, of a franchise system. So the brand teams were doing loads around brand equity building, you know, so they're doing uh, paid media, they're doing social posts, they're buying search on Google, et cetera. And then basically the bottler teams were doing online sales via retailers, and yes. most of it's indirect. So it's, uh, you know, Tesco, uh, Asda, Sainsbury's in the UK, uh, Carrefour, Auchan, you know, and then Walmart in the US and in the end Amazon as well, although that's relatively small still in soft drinks. Um so that that's a lot of what we are doing. Um and then in the end we also built a B2B platform to serve the fragmented trade. Uh because we realized a lot of small outlets were placing orders by phone, by fax even, by email. It was very costly. And we realized we could do it much better by having our own website for order taking. So um so that was a big that was a big change. And so yeah, we were very much kind of facing the customers, and we're also building our own our own websites as well on the B two B
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Thanks. And this is what, this was from when to when in that eleven year tenure at uh, at at, at Coca Cola.
1: Oh gosh, so this was uh, I was I was there from um, two thousand six. So this happened around uh 2012 that kind of period 2012 mm-hmm.
0: 2013. so a good, um, a good chunk of your time there was 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 doing this
1: and then yeah yeah, it was about uh it was about five years five or six years that i was um uh, that i was doing that and basically mm-hmm. what we did is we we hired some Smart ex consultants plus some smart internal people who were commercially, you know, doing key account management. Um, and basically some digital marketeers. And we, we sort of taught them about how to do shop and marketing. Um, and so the, the role was much about inventing digital along the whole path to purchase to join everything up. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I remember the first time I posted some roles internally. Nobody applied because no one knew what this thing was. And we were literally inventing job descriptions from from scratch. I was I was meeting some entrepreneurs and people I networked with who had worked at eBay or Tesco or Amazon. And they were like, oh, yeah, I think you need a job like a digital asset manager or something like this. And we'd literally say, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's call it that. And this was such a fun time because we literally were making it up. And eventually I had to get the CEO to write a note to the whole organization to say, e-commerce is the future growth of this business. You guys better get on board. And I remember also in like these top 200 meetings, I had to go and stand on stage and do some presentation. I would ask how many people in the audience had done an online shop for their groceries. And the first year I asked it, only 10 people put their hand up. Can you imagine? You
0: mean as, as, a, as a consumer, actually as buying con- groceries? Yeah, online.
1: as yeah. a consumer. These people were mm. not doing it. It wasn't a mm. common practice in those days. Sta- so you,
0: you refer to what you're doing as e-commerce. I mean, are, are people in and, and your sort of, a, you're, you're the bottlers or the supers are kind of your clients, I assume. Uh, are, are people well, actually I buying? On
1: the- one. I was on the bottler side. So what a okay. bottler okay. does is they manage the sales and marketing for the brands with retailers, right? So, okay. so okay. they're normally selling to a physical store what we were doing is we were doing the activation online on the retailer sites. So when, you know, when you go on a Tesco.com or a Walmart or an Amazon, we were making sure that the products were findable in search, uh, that, that like, I see, you know, I banners see. Okay. going on there, the right packs, the right price point, make sure the supply chain's working.
0: Uh, so a lot easy. of dealing with the different, you know, whatever e-commerce tools these retailers are using and integrating with those guys. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's messy yeah. and interesting.
1: Very messy, very messy, and it was a kind of evolving uh, thing. And it, and then e-commerce is only part of the job because the other part was doing digital marketing. Uh, but you would call this, I guess, today lower funnel marketing. Traditionally, what the shop, what the what the bottler does is they would do what we call shopper marketing, which is really cardboard displays in store to to make it sound <laughs> real. Um, and we were doing a digital version of that. So we basically created a function from scratch called Digital Shopper Marketing, um, and mm-hmm. it still exists today. I think it's um, it's a way of basically how do you convert someone who's in a shopping mode uh, to purchase, and it could be online or offline. And the way we did it is through um, mobile targeting. We used to do a lot of location-based targeting. We did a lot around digitizing the store experience. We would put Wi-Fi in stores, Bluetooth beacons, we had the, the coolers in stores, which are our owned assets, so we made them smart devices. Um, and then we also did a lot around loyalty uh, targeting with retailers. So we would pull the retailer's data and our data together into a data lake, create custom audiences, and then we'd target people in a more precise way. So it'd be like if it's Joe's birthday, you get a special offer, if you used to buy every, every two weeks and you suddenly stopped, we'd give you a special discount, all those kind of things. So it's, got, it's really so fun
0: combining that the online and the offline for some of these 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 activities. You can do some really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was it was a it was an amazing time. I think in the in the whole industry, and um, uh, I remember I, I was I was lucky to work with some really good um, contractors. Uh, I hired at one point uh, a guy who was switching from. A um, cardo to another retailer, and he gave really valuable information in terms of this is what works, this is what to negotiate, um, and so we were just making it up. So it was, in a way, it was like the fun of a startup, but with the security of a large yep, organization.
0: Yeah. yeah, best of both worlds for sure. All right, but you're you're no longer with Coca Cola. What what what, are, what happened after?
1: Yeah, so um, I would say. Um, In a way, I got a bit bored. Uh, The standard career path was to become a a GM and you have to run big offline accounts, and I had no interest in just doing big negotiations with Tesco's or something. Um, And so uh, I did the slightly unusual move of going back into consulting. And this this was uh, actually to join McKinsey as they were looking to build their e-commerce practice in consumer goods. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd been dealing with them often on the, you know, uh, uh, on the other side of the fence. And, um, and I remember going to a, uh, a networking event and one thing led to another and eventually I ended up uh, working for them as a partner in the, in the London office and they didn't normally hire from the outside. So it was quite a,
0: yeah, yeah. That's a that's, that's... usual thing. How, how common is it? You know, uh, no offense for McKinsey to hire. A, let's call you a more seasoned uh, candidate versus you know kids fresh out of college or or, yeah. or, or business school.
1: So it was, it was very unusual. I was, I think, I was the first externally hired partner in marketing and sales in, in Europe huh. at the time. Now it's more common because they're trying to hire people with expertise in different fields. But at that time, it was it was slightly unusual, and I think when they. Heard the kind of stuff I was working on and some of it was a bit ahead of his time. They're like, Oh yeah, this is good. We can, we can use this. Um, and, uh, and I think the reason I went, I, 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 I joined is because I, I didn't want to do traditional consulting, but they had been buying digital agencies. They had been buying product design companies. They'd buy an analytics firms as well. So all of that was a very interesting melting pot. And, and I was toying with the idea of, do I go next to a digital agency? But I realized they didn't really understand strategy or economics. And I thought well, McKinsey maybe is one of the few places that can piece all this together and
0: uh, you know
1: understand what I'm trying to do here. So you're doing more than the,
0: just creating a slide deck here you had some execution stuff on behalf of your client
1: Absolutely, yeah. And it was at the, McKinsey was on the cusp of creating, um, I would say a version of BCG Digital Ventures. So it was called Leap. Um, and uh, I remember meeting a senior partner at the time, and he was like, Mark, if you want to go and do something which is going on the up, join this you know, this task force, which is setting up this uh, new sort of entity, as it were. I ended up uh, co-leading the consumer part of that, which was basically building digital businesses for retailers and consumer goods uh, companies from scratch.
0: And you were brought on as a partner, which I assume is, is, is kind of unique. Uh, you know, they, they, I suspect they, they prefer to, you know, bring people in from the inside mm-hmm. and, and, and promote them. Uh, as a partner, how much of your job was sort of landing new clients versus uh, helping their existing clients with their digital stuff?
1: I mean, there's, there's no real distinction at McKinsey. You. you do both. You don't there's uh-huh. not a separate team. So um, it's uh, I would say it's a constant focus on on doing both uh clearly if you have a lot of pull with bringing new clients in then you have a great reputation and, and, and things like that uh but uh, it was i was constantly doing both i wouldn't almost i would i wouldn't almost divide my time explicitly between the two
0: effectively the same thing, and, then, yeah.
1: and and effectively winning new clients is mostly converting existing clients to do these kind of uh these kind of projects Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all it was. It's it was always a very strong philosophy. about where, where is there a real impact as opposed to selling work? That, and there's not f- selling is a completely forbidden concept there because uh, the whole point is to be on the side of the client.
0: Now, are you still at McKinsey, or have you have you since done something else?
1: No, no, I left. I left. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, uh, the funnest part, I would say, was doing this business building, this digital business building from scratch. And what happened is in the pandemic. Um, obviously, everyone's working from home. Everyone wanted e-commerce, and I was starting to help retailers to build online marketplaces, three P marketplaces where they don't hold inventory. Um, and I was working all around the world, and uh, and and uh, learning a lot from the likes of Alibaba and stuff, and and starting to get into social commerce as well. And a headhunter called me up and said, "We're looking for a French-speaking, non-French resident." willing to relocate to Paris to join the headquarters of this beauty company. Um, but they have to have done like, you know, quite operational work on e-commerce, but also have this global understanding of different business models and and categories. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure I know anybody else in my network. Um, <laughs> sounds interesting. The first interview was in French, and then they revealed the company name. And then very quickly, um, I decided to jump. The family is young and we thought, why not move to Paris? And so I joined L'Oreal. Oh, nice.
0: And you're still there to this day. I'm still there to this
1: day. I've been, I've been at L'Oreal now for one year and eight months.
0: Well, so you've done consulting to what we, you know, sometimes negatively refer to as industry back to consulting and now back to industry. Yeah.
1: And, and it's, um it's a funny thing. I think I've, if I look back, I finally found my feet, in a way, because I wanted to be an architect and an engineer. I wanted to create and analyze and build things. And in a way, I've been able to do that. Uh, both in Coke, I built the team from scratch. Um, in McKinsey, I managed to build new capability. And then I've had the fortune here at L'Oreal to also build my e-commerce team from scratch. I inherited a very small team. Uh, but it's a very exciting business. It's a completely different ballgame to soft drinks, because e-commerce is almost 30% of the total business. So it's like, it's big, it's big, big bucks. It's it's over 11 billion euros in sales. Online. And it seems
0: like something that's a little more suited to actually buying online, whereas, whereas Coca-Cola is probably kind of an indirect online sale thing where you're just getting them in the store and they can...
1: Yeah, the only reason you could get you can make the economics work for a, buying Coke online as well as part of a grocery basket. And even yeah. there... Oh. When you're oh. getting a large basket delivered to your home, it's barely break-even for most retail.
0: Can you give us any crude cultural uh, stereotypes between working in uh, in London versus Paris? for
1: you? Oh, huge, huge. Um, I mean, L'Oreal is still very French, and there are peculiarities. I think, um, and I, I've been used to working in quite American-style companies where, it's very performance driven and you get to know people over time, but it's just quite a direct performance driven culture. What I've learned in, in this French culture, it's, it's a very Latin culture. So it's got this combination of, it's very warm, but everything's negotiable. Um, mm. but it, but it's combined with a, it's a weird combination actually of local entrepreneurialism and freedom. Uh, with top-down French culture of what the boss says is actually quite important. So there's a ton of upwards reporting, much more than I did in Coke. If I went to visit a market in Coke, people were like, why are you coming? What are you going to do to add value to us? If I come and visit a market now, they roll out the red carpet, and it's like the boss is coming. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a very different thing. But I would say L'Oreal is at the opposite end of the spectrum compared to a P&G or an Amazon, which is very structured process driven you know your inputs and outputs and what you have to do which works well in a kind of linear standard situation l'oreal someone described to me is more like a blob of pe- pe- people are like bubbles and you expand your bubble until it touches other people's bubbles and in that interaction is where you create value so in other words you make it up as you go along which in a way suits me quite well because I'm not that structured, frankly. I was never a really good consultant, if I'm honest. And this gives me the ability to be a bit more creative and uh, you know, uh, make things up a bit as I, as I go along.
0: Love it, love it. All right, last question. It's a two-parter. Uh, is there anything that we as the community can do to, for you, either personally or, or professionally, or vice versa? Are there, are there any things that you're, uh, you're looking to do to, to, to help the community? <laughs>
1: I mean, things, things that I could benefit from, I mean, I have huge admiration for so much of what our class have, have done. Um, and, I mean, some of them are my best friends for life, uh, godparents to my children. Uh, and there is such a wonderful entrepreneurial uh, experience that many people have. I would, I would love to learn more on that side. If anything, I've been, uh, I would say, chickening out of being an entrepreneur of my own. I think I could be a good partner in the future but i would love to also uh, understand how to invest how to make money because <laughs> some people in our class have done amazing things and they've created like assets that generate cash and it's a different way of thinking about life um and i i have i have huge huge admiration for that so that plus i think greater connection with the class it was wonderful to go back to the 20 year reunion um and and i just want to be more connected to people and what i can offer um uh it's whatever people need in a way. I'm. I love. I love coaching and giving. I, I, I. occasionally lecture at universities. If people want advice on stuff, I give it for free. Frankly, I just. I love to ping pong on on big topics. So if they're to do with digital e commerce, would love to connect with people on that. I learn so much by by interacting. Uh, then, of course, my team is expanding. So. Many people now have got children who are starting to get to the age or they've got a network that people want a role, they want a job, then I can maybe even help with that.
0: All right. You heard it. Mark's uh, willing to invest his money in your thing, and he's also willing to give your kids a job. Uh, so let, <laughs> let's, let's take him up on that. Uh, Mark, thanks so so much for your time. It was really, really nice catching up.
1: Thank you, Joe. Have a great uh, holiday. Thank you. You too. Okay.